Welcome to the RV Navigator Podcast, your RV lifestyle digital home. Visit the RV Navigator homepage at rvnavigator.com. And now, here are your hosts, Ken and Martha, podcasting from their mobile RV studio that might be parked in a campground near you. Hello, this is Ken, your RV Navigator. And Martha, the co-pilot. And we're happy to say we're still on the road, camped in a campground near you. Last time we left you in the midst of a storm. And how did we weather that storm? Piece of cake. Piece of cake. We did weather it. We wanted to fill you in and and allay your fears that your RV navigators were under deluges of water and storms. And, well... Things have calmed down completely, however. And I would have to say there's a degree of luck involved. Yes, um, indeed. It, it was very hard to keep track of the hurricane when we were in New England because most of the news we got was from New York City, which kind of dominates the media. Yes. And not until we got close to Maine did we realize uh, the, <laughs> the, the route that we should take. And our dilemma was whether to stay in Vermont and wait for the storm to pass the Maine coast or just to go on to Maine. And luckily, we made the right decision and left the Vermont area just be- before the whole state collapsed. Oh, boy, as I think we floods. mentioned last time, boy, you really have to pay attention to the weather. And these storms, you know, the track 50 or so miles can make a big difference. And Whew, never test the storm. And, okay, so now we are in upstate New York. And we ran into another uh, weather calamity. <laughs> Here we are again. Um, this, which... this trip, three weeks, and we run into two big storms and floods and tornadoes and who oh, God knows everything. What happened? And I'm afraid to say that we were not as well prepared for no. um, our bad experiences here. Uh, we knew we the, the route we were taking would take us through Binghamton, New York, and we had seen some news clips that there was very bad flooding there as well, but we blithely assumed that all the interstates yeah. would be open, or if not, that we would have heard about it, and that was wrong, So wrong, we were wrong. on the east side of the flood, and which went through Connecticut and Pennsylvania and up into upstate New York, and we were wanting to go to the western part of the New York State, which seemed fairly logical. Uh, this was four days after the storm, and we start driving, and... Our first clue that something was wrong was when the interstate was shut on the shut. other side. Oh, yes. Uh, because there was like a giant landslide of mud and rocks that had watched, Which were washed still down being onto the on. expressway. And we smugly said to each other, well, well we're glad we're, we're not, not on that, that part way. of the interstate. And immediately after that, we were funneled off the road. And what was especially dismaying yes. was the fact that there were absolutely no detour signs. Well, uh, This area was so devastated, devastated. that people could hardly uh, figure out what they were going to do about themselves, about much g- less guests. anybody else that was coming through. Yeah, but for us, that was a significant problem because Bingham, New York is fairly rural, and there's not much obvious alternative routes and the GPSs. Well, we weren't. We didn't know how, lo- how far the expressway was going to be closed and nobody seemed to know much and and it became apparent that there was no electricity in the area uh, we passed um, oh, many homes where generators friend. were running pumping out basements or yeah. just supplying and, and general power 
we rode along frontage roads yes. alongside the expressway that had been uh, gently eroded by the water as well. And you well, know, when you're driving a big fat motorhome down a and they were covered, you could see street. where the mud had been, and the leaves on the trees were all brown, brown from with the mud. water. And you know, I, we went through there four days after it was over, <laughs> which to us was a fairly long time. And obviously, the water had receded dramatically, but. You would pass by houses with all their belongings out on the road, out on the curbside, waiting for pickup, and and people outside. And I, I had the window on the driver's side open, and I could hear generators at virtually every house. And we're driving on fairly small roads here, gang, and not knowing where we're going exactly because we would go down to the next entrance to the interstate, and they would say, "Oh, sorry." And then we would say, "Well, do we go this way on this frontage road or this frontage road? Which ones are open?" And oof. And I finally found a police kind of person to ask <laughs> who told me the name of a road we should turn down. But when we looked at that road, it looked like somebody's driveway. So we <laughs> didn't take his advice. We should have. And well, we ended up at the end of a dead-end road. Which well, it wasn't exactly a dead-end. Well, it was dead-end at that point. No. No, we got out there and there was this cluster of people. And yellow tape across the road. Well, not going the way they were going. And the guy says, oh, well, we're going to drive this way, but I wouldn't drive your motorhome over this. <laughs> you need to turn around. <laughs> you need to turn around. And for one of the first times ever, we had to uh, unhitch so that we could unhitch the car because you can't back up. And so because I was at the end of the road, for us anyway, so we, and then we said, oh, good. What are we going to do <laughs> now? You know, we're we're headed west, but we're as far west as we could go, but we needed to go further west, or at least we assumed we did. So we unhitched the car, and, and uh, I turned the RV around. All this is very exciting, and we had no idea what the outcome was going to be. But the good thing is, when you're in the RV, you've got uh, water and your bathroom and a generator, and if need be, you can just park and I guess wait it out. I don't know what would happen. And we ran into a good Samaritan but, who offered to yes. lead us to um, a nearby truck stop. And yes. we weren't really sure why we wanted to go to a truck stop, yes. but we knew we didn't want to be where we were. <laughs> and we thought, what the hell, we'll go to the truck stop. Yes. And lo and behold, when he took us there, we could see right beyond it that the expressway entrance was finally open, open. and we could continue on our way. So that was a rather hair-raising experience and uh, took us couple of extra hours in our trip to make that to make to get this out of the way uh, so dear listener please learn from our mistakes <laughs> and when we have this wild weather that we seem to be having more and more of these days pay attention to the news get out your map google the cities that you're going through if you have any inkling that there might be a problem and and don't make the mistakes that we made well i found that google maps actually has a traffic section and if you click on it it shows you the roads that are open um, with a green stripe, so that if you click on them, um, at least it'll give you an idea before you leave if you're going to have trouble. And hopefully, you know, you won't have this problem, but we didn't anticipate it, but I guess you always have to be prepared, and it's, we are prepared. Well, we try to be. And this is a time when my beloved GPS is not helpful because all it tries to do is put you back on the interstate. Yeah, I kept trying to put us back, you know, at the next exit, the next exit. And we didn't necessarily want to go to the next exit. Because uh, it was it, closed. And as it turned out, it was over 20 miles that we had to go before we could get back on again. And we could see the expressway, and there was nothing obviously wrong with it. But they said that they had to check the bridges and, and spray it off because it had mud on it or something. I don't know. But it was a tense situation, to be sure. 
we we should give a shout out to Sue. Yes, you know we how should. we always say on this podcast <laughs> that we might be camped at a campground near you. Well, we actually were camped at a campground near Sue, and as a matter of fact, she was in our campground. Surprise of surprises. And she looked us up, and we were thrilled to meet her. Uh, we were sorry we were so booked up with a program we were taking in Camden, Maine, that we didn't have the time to spend with her that we would have liked. But it sure is nice to meet a meet, listener face to face, meet a new visit, a new face, and to see somebody. She has a nice uh, Vista, uh, Winnebago Vista, which she bought used, just like we did, and has had great success with it, and is enjoying her RVing lifestyle. So we hope to see her again. We actually made plans to see her again, but <laughs> due to the bad weather again, uh, that had to be canceled. Also, so after we saw Sue, we went Sasu. north. To the northern part of Maine, which is called Down, Down east, east, which is slightly confusing. But I think that means that it's on the east coast, and it's down from the very northern part of Maine where hardly anybody lives and there are hardly any roads. So we were on the very northernmost coast of Maine, uh, right across the border from New Brunswick. And we were camped on the corner of the northern coast of Maine in Eastport, Um Eastport and the town of Lubeck, which is two miles away by the way the crow flies, but 40 miles away by car. <laughs> Can you believe um, that? Both claim to be the easternmost Eastern cities city. in the United States. The towns were the first rays of the uh, morning sun hit the continental U.S. And the first places to vote in the United States. All right. But we didn't see many sunrises. And as is typical of Maine, this area is very scenic and craggy and has very interesting huge tides that affect the scenery More and the animal life feet. as well. Um, if you eat Atlantic salmon, uh, most of it comes from that area <laughs> from farms. Wait a these minute, days farms? Yes, because, they farm uh, salmon. All the wild animal, wild salmon has been fished out, and both in this area of Maine and in New Brunswick, they have huge circular pens yeah. where they put fingerlings and feed them for two years. Two years, years about, yes, in order to get full-size salmon that you can put on your plate. Uh, surprisingly enough, the salmon was not a particularly good deal in this uh, area because it actually wasn't processed here. It was just it was just grown and then shipped elsewhere. So you didn't see in the store uh, very nice salmon patties, or no, not salmon patties, but salmon steaks and things. But we did find lobsters. Love those lobsters. Love those lobsters. This is definitely lobster territory. And the lobster season is in full progress at this time of year, so the price is fairly reasonable, I would say, although we did find it to be kind of expensive. And we got a chance to use our lobster pot, which we carry with us at all time, times. At all times, just in case we find a spare lobster. So you'll find a picture up on our website of us cooking the lobster in the RV. Although, quite frankly, for the little extra money, it was a lot easier just to buy it at a restaurant. <laughs> Well, the lobster. Well, these pound and a half lobsters that we bought were thirteen dollars each, and for nineteen dollars you could have a full dinner. And I don't know about your rig, <laughs> but our rig has fairly small burners, and when you're trying to boil a lot of water, so you can steam hey, two it's lobsters. The, it's the experience. <clears throat> it took me about forty minutes to get to a rolling boil. But we had fresh lobster in the RV, fresh hard shelled lobster. It was wonderful. And what's the difference between hard shell and soft shell? Well, lobster, Not the shell. lobster molt periodically throughout their lives, which means they get rid of their old shell and build a new one because they keep growing, growing, growing. 
And if you catch them at the point where they've just moved into their new shell, but <laughs> it isn't in. quite the right size yet, uh, room to grow in, as my mother always used to say. Uh, <laughs> Buy bigger clothes. <laughs> that really is true. <clears throat> they, they said, and I think I agree, that the meat is a little bit softer and sweeter and the shells are a lot easier to get off. But it's a bit of a fake out because the lobster looks a lot bigger than what it really is. And they sell it for a lower per they sell, price. Well, they sell it for a lower price because all of the spare space in between the meat and the shell is all filled with water, so you have to pay for water. The soft shell, you can actually break the shell with your hands and take the meat just kind of comes out because it's just a small piece of meat, whereas the hard shell fills up the entire shell, and so there's more meat per volume, I guess you could say. Anyway... We learn a lot about lobsters. And we were in Eastport for the Salmon Festival, which was a very low-key, small-town <laughs> affair. Uh, we must confess, as urban people from a large metropolitan area, these small towns sometimes throw us a bit. You know, when you go to the, the <laughs> when luncheon, you go to the luncheon and, they <laughs> and they expect to serve 80 people over two hours, and that's all that's going to be there. You know, where we're from, you can hardly find a and place to park. For $7, park. you have two little cups of shower. <laughs> But it was very quaint and homey, yes. and they had a lot of local people uh, playing, good cause. playing music while we, we had our fish chowder. <laughs> and it was quite charming. I enjoyed it. Oh, yes. <clears throat> we try to uh, support these little festivals and things that we find. And, and then another, she went to the chocolate factory. Well, yeah, we drove into New Brunswick one day. It, it was quite a contrast. It was interesting to me. When you get to northern Maine, you feel like it's a very boony place. I mean, when you can't find a Walmart yes. anywhere, Eastport had one, or really a grocery store. one grocery store, an, an IGA, IGA, and a gas station, and that was it. A, um, no pharmacy. We were with friends who needed a little medication, nothing to be bought anywhere around there. And so uh, you get kind of an isolated feeling. It makes me a little uncomfortable, I must say. But as soon as you cross into New Brunswick, you're going north uh, that puts you into southern Canada and because it's southern Canada I guess it's a lot more built up than northern Maine who would have guessed <laughs> Florida for Canada so one of the first things we came to in, in, in one of the many towns named Saint I think it was Saint George it was Saint Anne and Saint John mm. and there were like five saints in a row there uh, they had a wonderful chocolate museum and oh, what's um, the name of the chocolate <clears throat> Oh, Longolier or something like that. It was a local Canadian family we'd never heard of before. And but very we've, famous. We've been to exhibits where you learn about how chocolate is made. <laughs> but, uh, so that wasn't that exciting. But this museum had huge trays of fine, high-quality chocolates, you know, like the kind you might get in a Whitman sampler. And she took advantage of And they were in every room of the museum. They boasted 150 different flavors of So where candy. did we spend the morning? <laughs> It was wonderful. <laughs> all they said, all the chocolates you can eat while you're in the museum. So. And we lingered. <laughs> One of us lingered more than others. And another place you might want to go if you're up in that area is Campobello Island, mm. which was the summer home retreat of FDR, Franklin Roosevelt. And um, it's kind of a neat place because it is in Canada, but its real significance is to the United States. And as with many things, uh, we share the responsibilities with our Canadian neighbors in harmony and and this was a very quality place. We've never been to such a well-done historical place that yes. didn't charge any admission. Uh, there were tour guides everywhere in the home. Uh, we had, we attended a free event called Tea with, with Eleanor, Eleanor, where yes. uh, the tour guides talked about Eleanor Roosevelt and her 
being ahead of her times in terms of what she did as a first lady and even after FDR died. We learned a lot. It had beautiful gardens, and everything was free. You can't everything argue was free. with that. Of course, it's on an island, uh, and there is a bridge over the island that was built in the mid-60s, I believe. But you could also take ferries. And one of the nice things about New Brunswick is that they had uh, various interesting ferries for us to travel on. We, for the first time, put the car on a ferry and took it to Deer Island, and then we took it to Campobello, and uh, it was a, a, an interesting experience to see how these islanders live because they everything obviously had to come across on the ferry. And in New Brunswick itself, when you get outside of the touristy spots, um, all the ferries are free. I think the province tries to uh, uh-huh. promote keep the islands connected to the mainland and promote the, the lifestyle out there and keep people in the loop, and so it's a very convenient but somewhat pokey way uh, to go from one place to well, another. Well, and we should mention that these were just drive-on ferries and the, the, the trip was less than half an hour and that you didn't have to have a reservation or no, anything. No big but, distances to cover. But you probably could take the RV if you wanted to. But even in teeny we didn't, tiny... We just took the car. Even in teeny tiny Eastport, where we deplored the lack of things uh, available for us to do and see and buy, uh, we were able to get internet at a little local bakery. And this is always a dilemma that a traveler faces if you don't have internet in your These rig, days. How do you stay connected? And uh, we enjoyed a bit of pastry and a very fast internet connection. For a cup of coffee, yep, you get yourself a nice internet. So when you're on the road, um, check out the bakery. These days with Wi-Fi being so ubiquitous that... You just have to find the right spot, and uh, you can sit there and enjoy the data while you uh, have something to eat. Um, our campground did have Wi-Fi. <laughs> they offered Wi-Fi for half an hour a day, and we did have it in our RV, but we can't download podcasts and keep uh, all of our listeners posted with what's going on because we just don't have enough bandwidth, although it did work well there. And another problem we had being but so there was close. no all oh, the cell service. To Canada was that when we turned on our phones, the cell tower that it connected with was in Canada. And we got a little warning message about every time we used our phones, it would be an international call. Even though we were in the United States. So we did try to call our phone company and try to arrange that they wouldn't charge us for that. Uh, We will let you know whether we were successful when we get our bill next month. Yeah, you do have to be careful about that. And we were surprised because it was a very strong signal in our campground, but... I would say a mile and a half away was Canada. We could actually just look over there and see Canada and the cell phone towers. And, of course, they were Canadian cell phone service. And AT&T does have an agreement. So your phone rings and you can talk. And if you're not paying attention, you could run up quite a bill, I would think. Another lady at one of the campsites that we talked to had a $1,400 Verizon bill. Although she was there for the season, not just for a week. That's one month, and that would be kind of a shock if you hadn't anticipated it. So we always have to pay attention to that. Uh, Roaming means really roaming, in this case, international roaming. We are enjoying the wine country of New York State, the Finger Lakes area. A series of 13 lakes that were carved out by the glaciers. Eleven. With the names... Smart Alec. Of Indians. And some of the names are? Seneca. <laughs> Is that one of the lakes? Yes. That's Cayuga. The one, that's the one we took a boat trip on. 
So we have been here at the Rhodes Scholar Program learning about the sampler of the uh, Finger Lakes area. And this is actually a very nice area of the country and a great place to vacation and visit. A lot of things to do. Very rural as compared to New York City. You know, you think of New York and you kind of just automatically think of NYC. But when you get away from New York City, as we're a dramatically long way away, fortunately on the other side of the storm too and the floods, but... We are way out here, and it's very uh, uh, scenic and hilly and uh, lots of woods, and people uh, are not New York-oriented at all. A I don't more think. agricultural lifestyle. In, in and if area. you like wine, there are, what, well over 100 wineries around here. So if you like to uh, sample wine, you can take some tours out here. You can do recreation on the lakes. The lakes are about 35 miles long. We enjoyed a hike tours. through Watkins Glen State Park. Oh, Watkins Park. Glen is fabulous, Very right? scenic uh, gorge with a series of wonderful waterfalls. Very picturesque. So if you haven't considered upstate New York as a tourist destination or a place to visit, bring your family. They have lots of uh, activities and things to do, and it is very family-oriented here, I would say. So... This is well worth a visit. And unlike northern Maine, if there is a rainy day, you can also go to the wonderful Glass <laughs> Museum in Corning, Corning right. uh, which has a huge collection of historically significant glass and art glass, has a place where you can watch them blowing glass, um, certainly a three- or four-hour stop. And I'm sure everybody will be interested in the Glenn Curtis Museum also, which we visited for half a day today. Uh, the Glenn, Glenn Curtis was a fabulous uh, aviator and actually uh, was far ahead of the Wright brothers. We won't talk a lot about that, but uh, you might want to go to the museum if you're in the area. Google we're, him. We're also uh, only uh, 175 miles from, or 150 miles from Niagara Falls and Lake Erie, so you could also visit that area too. So traveling with uh, our friends who we've been bringing along with us has been an interesting experience to say the least. Because we can't, as we mentioned last time, we can't really sleep for people very well. So we have to find them accommodations. And and I was a little bit worried about this, but so far we've been able to find something decent for them and decent for us in fairly close proximity. Yeah. Uh, it takes a little planning, a little calling around, but it does work. Yes. It, it's certainly money-saving because obviously they don't have to have a car and they can travel with us and... Well, don't buy your your diesel or even your gas in New York. $4.20 is about the going rate around here. And I filled up in, uh, well, the last time I filled up was uh, for three eighty nine In New Hampshire. In New Hampshire. So New York is a state you don't want to buy fuel. Unfortunately, because we carry enough, we can just drive clear across the state and not have to worry about filling up. And another thing that's dismaying in this part of the world, and it's almost as yes. bad as it is where we live in the Chicago area, is the tolls. Oh, oh we yes. We have paid some bodacious tolls between Chicago and northern Maine. But as we've mentioned to you before, um, our electronic toll-paying device, which we call an iPass, but here they call EasyPass and whatever, has worked everywhere. So even though you're paying... Every, we have not paid out-of-pocket one toll. Even though you're paying astronomical amounts of money, <laughs> you don't you know how much you're paying <laughs> until later when the bill comes. When you look it up, but you're supposed to go through the manual lane so that the so that the toll attendant can mark off your car on the back and make <laughs> you pay even more money. Make you pay yes, half again as much. So we've uh, tried to follow the rules, but a couple of times we just kind of zip through. Okay, so other topics that we'd like to talk about. How about working on the road? Camping, uh, work camping. 
um, if you're looking to find a justification for your camping trips, you could work while you are on the road. And there are lots of articles, and we've talked before about WorkCamping.com, but actually there are quite a few other sites that do, that deal with this topic also, such as... HappyVagabonds.com, a very comprehensive site yes. um, that has articles about work camping as well as all sorts of other issues that might be of interest to RVers and campers. Um, their webpage is a, is like a portal with a uh-huh. series of links to many well, other topics. Not a portal in that it takes you to other websites. It's actually articles that they have hosting on their website, which I assume they've written, which is very cool. So that it's it's more than just like the Work Camping Magazine, which has some articles about work camping and then has job listings. This doesn't apparently have job listings, but it does have links to all sorts of great uh, other RV job sites and tons of articles that uh, will be helpful for you if you are looking to uh, to do a little bit of work camping. And I think the general tenor of this website is to save a little money if you can. Um, they offer used RVs for sale. There's a link to discount RV camping, RVing discounts, uh, volunteering uh-huh. RV camping jobs. Uh, camping at casinos. Free camping. So um, if if you want to do this lifestyle and do it in an economical way, I would say happyvagabonds.com is a site worth looking at. And they also put us on to another website um, with a new book. And these folks have a book called Support Your RV Lifestyle. This website is uh, the RV Lifestyle Experts. And they have an e-zine, which you might like to subscribe to. It's free in addition to their book, that uh, actually has uh, some very good topics that you might enjoy reading about. Uh, the the support your lifestyle, your RV lifestyle through working has uh, some great articles. It sounds to me some great chapter titles: "Live Longer, Stay Productive, Give Back," "Actual Working RVers," uh, some stories about people who are working in their RV, and lots of other good information. It looks like uh, the book is available from Amazon. It's called "Support Your RV Lifestyle." course you'll find a link to it on our website but uh, you might want to uh, to take a look at this if you're looking to do RVing and you are worried about the finances or if you just like to keep busy working while you are full-timing how about a new app actually I have two new apps that I'd like to talk to you about the good Sam emergency road service app if you have good Sam emergency road service ERS then you might E-R-S, then you might like to get this app because I was quite impressed with uh, what it does since I've downloaded it. It not only will call them, and it has your always has your GPS location in it because it's in your smartphone, so it can call them and tell them where you are, and you don't have to worry about that. But it also tells you, press a button, and it tells you them what kind of help you need. Um, I'm not. I haven't actually used it because <laughs> we haven't had an accident or haven't been needed any emergency road service. Knock on wood. But it looks like it has a, a, a lot of good information. It automatically you put in your uh, your road service number so that it automatically will contact them with that so that they know who you are and where you are. So. Sometimes, you know, when you have a, an accident or you have a problem, you know, you're a little bit flustered and you don't know exactly what you should be doing. And this kind of walks you through the steps because it has uh, various uh, buttons that you can just press. And presumably somebody else on the other end will give you an answer. As long as you have cell service. 
as long as you have cell service. Gee, do you think that's necessary with a smartphone? <clears throat> and we have found that even in this state of New York, that cell service from AT&T, our big friend, is rather spotty. Is rather spotty, especially 3G. So we're not all that excited about that. Another app that I think that you might like to take a look at is called uh, OTA. OTA is uh, over-the-air TV stations. And <laughs> this is one of the problems that we've had, and you know that I bought this digital meter from Weingart a while ago, and it actually works quite well. But if you are uh, not having that meter and you don't, you get to a location, what this does, it tells you the direction of all of the TV transmitters in the area. And it tells you how to point your antenna so that you know where and what stations, uh, what you know, networks and things are at each of the transmitter locations. Well, that's a very cool app so that uh, <laughs> you can have an idea of what station and how far away they are so that you can decide whether or not you're going to be able to receive the stations. Because that is always an issue. Although the, the digital meter helps, uh, it doesn't, you don't often know which direction to start pointing. And we have some happy uh, manufacturing news yes, uh, for our surprise. friends who own Monaco coaches, wonderful RVs as far as we can tell. Uh, they are resuming manufacture of uh, Monaco coaches again in Wakarusa, Indiana, where they were made um, before they went out of business. I guess they've reorganized economically. They, yeah, they and went they, out of business in 2008 when things got really And they were hard. taken over by Navistar, yeah, and they, they were made in uh, Oregon for a while, and now they're going to be made, all the Monaco coaches are going to be made back in Wakarusa, Indiana. Is that back, another Indian name? Must be. And they're hiring <laughs> back 400 of the folks that worked for them before, so they should have the experience. Although, of course, that means that there are going to be a few people in, in, the, or in Oregon who are going to be out of a job. And we also have some news about Winnebago, who seems to be expanding at this time, and they're making a, their first uh, travel trailer. And which is kind of an interesting concept because they bought Sunnybrook Manufacturing. They are going to be bringing out a new line of uh, travel trailers. And, of course, they've been primarily motorized vehicles up until now, and so they're expanding into the trailer market, which is good news. We like to see more and more people uh, joining the and RVing family. And Winnie's are also a quality product. Yes, we think so, too. Another little small piece of news um, Unfortunately, uh, motorhome sales in June were rather flat. Um, they weren't increasing at all. We don't like to see that. Tiffin Motorhomes, which we which we visited just a while ago, and have talked about before. Uh, yes, has remained the leader with twenty one point five percent of the market. Winnebago is nineteen point six. Thor Industries was number three with seventeen point five percent of the market, and Newmar, maker of our fabulous Dutch Star, is not even listed. But they're still alive. But they are still God alive because we were there and you uh, saw the pictures of the tour just a couple of months ago. Uh, we always in enjoy blogs, and we have our own blog, which you know that the Navigator keeps up faithfully. So if you want to know where we are, you go to mytripjournal slash Wiseman, and you'll see our location on a map. We've been reading quite a few blogs lately because we're going to Alaska and we want to find out what's going on there. But what happens if you want to find blogs from other places? Well, we, there's now on the website, are we there yet? 
Very I think funny. it's a little play on words. Very funny. Has the blog network. And what's nice about this is that for the blogs that they follow, they put the each of the postings on the main page so that you can just click on it. And so you get 50 or so blog postings, and you can decide which ones you want to read, which is a nice way of consolidating a bunch of blogs so that you don't have to go to each website independently or even know about them. You can just kind of read the individual topics. And sometimes you want to read about a blog and a blog, and sometimes you want to read an entry. Sometimes you don't want to read an entry. And so this way you can kind of scan the entries and read the ones which you find most interesting. And also RV, <laughs> I have a tough time with these words, RV there yet uh, has actually quite a lot of other information which you might like to take a look at. And, of course, you'll find a link to that on our website. If you're thinking about buying an RV, um, it's very easy to be swept away by the looks of it. I know that certainly happened to me, and, yes. and one of the things that drew me to our Dutch Star immediately was the decor. Um, I like the colors, I like the finishes, I like the quality. And of it looked the, like it was w uh, little used. But but what it looks like has really nothing to do with how well it will work, and mm. so it's, it's it's a problem when you buy a a stick-built home, and it's a problem when you buy an RV. So we were happy to see that there's a new website, well, new to us anyway, called Mobile RV Academy that has a variety .com. of different short courses. Um, I would say they're really geared toward people who want to be technicians or do extensive repairs, but they have a special course uh, for... for an online course for people who are thinking of buying an RV, and it kind of gives you the things that you should look at in a used RV before you buy it. You know, how to evaluate the various systems that are in the RV. And this sounds like a good idea to me. They were offering it free until, well, the middle of um, October, but I don't know about after that how it's going to be offered. It looks like otherwise the courses on this website are for free and should be. There's a lot of information there. From the RV Lifestyles e-zine, one of the articles was about 52 ways to save money living in the, the RV lifestyle. And certainly the first bullet point they have here is one that we've done, which is to buy a second-hand second rig. rig. Definitely, they they recommend that you weigh your RV, check the water level on your batteries regularly, because uh, as we found out uh, a couple of years ago, well, the batteries had gone dry, and therefore we, they had to be replaced, and that isn't cheap. Cover your tires when parked for in one spot for several days. And definitely we learned that's a good idea. We bought covers, and we use them. Do preventive maintenance on all of your vehicles, which will save you <laughs> and, money in the long run. And if you've been following us, you know we have been doing preventative maintenance. A lot of preventative maintenance. But it has paid off because the RV has been running very well since we had all of our preventative maintenance. Replace and clean your air filter as directed. These are just common, ordinary tips that... Uh, Take a class in repair so you're more knowledgeable can do some of your own repairs. You'll also be better able to deal with service people. Uh, this is always very intimidating to me. I, if I can at least talk the language of those people, I feel like I'm less likely to get ripped off. Use surge protectors on your computer and other electronic appliances. Replacing appliances or critical parts is expensive, and boy, if you have a zap, you will know it, and it will blow out uh, several of your systems in, that can be fixed with a UPS, Universal Power Supply which is a battery backup system which will keep the power clean to your computers. And you can buy these at any computer store or at Best Buy and lots of different places. Just ask them for their UPSs. 
Use an AC voltage monitor that checks polarity. Check the outlet at the utility pole and then keep the monitor in view inside your RV, especially when running the AC or microwave. And we had this instance where our energy management system, our EMS, shut us down the other day because the voltage was low. This is rather dismaying to me. I wasn't so surprised that it happened to us when we were in Mexico because you have <laughs> relatively low expectations. This was on 50 amp, too. Uh, but in the United States, you would think that campground owners would wire their poles properly and you wouldn't have to worry about this. But uh, they don't. Well, but it's yeah, but they don't pay to have it done. That's usually the owner of the campground who does the wiring, and who knows? He goes freewheeling. He goes freewheeling. Who knows, yes. As far as uh, saving on propane, which is an expensive item, if you have to fill it up very often. And in the winter we do, but uh, at other times we, gee, we haven't filled up with propane in actually a long time. So turn your gas water heater on electric. Ah, gee, what a great idea. Especially if you're using campground electricity. What the heck, you may as well use their electricity. We use their power to heat. So we have a ceramic heater and we use the heat pumps. So even if you don't have heat pumps, you can bring along an electric heater. And it looks like we're going to need it in the next couple days because we're going to have our first 30-degree temperatures oh. overnight. Ooh. Another thing that they recommend that a lot of our newly retired friends don't think about is staying in one place longer. <laughs> you know, Your impulse when you're uh, finally finished with work and you want to see the USA is to zip around from one place to another and... You have this list of all the things you want to see, and you drive, 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 drive. And that is very expensive. Uh, so it makes a lot more sense to choose an area of the country and just kind of settle there for a while. And then you don't have to keep filling that big expense. And we just, ta- we just talked to a couple who was part of this program that we're, that we're taking here, the Road Scholar Program. And they are staying in their RV also. And they have a 2006, and it has 95,000 miles on it. And I'm just thinking, why on earth would you drive? And they haven't been to all 49 states, which was also a shock. (laughs) I mean, they haven't been to as many places as we have, but yet they have driven a lot more miles, which means, well, in the way they talk, they go from here to there to there to there to there and long distances in between. We just don't like to drive like that. And you want to be conscious of the campgrounds that you choose and what you're paying for. Uh, If you don't have a small family, you don't want to choose a KOA that's going to um, take advantage of all the programs and activities that the KOA campgrounds provide. Uh, Pay for what you need and what you will really use. Uh, Consider boondocking or camping without hookups every so often, and then you don't have to pay as many campground fees. Your monthly total will go down. Okay, so you can visit this website and download all 95 tips. No, 52. All 52 tips for you to save money while in your RV. All of them, well, some of them endorsed by us, <laughs> but <laughs> you can probably guess the ones that aren't, which ones aren't. So, mid-month September 2011, and we are... On the road home. On our way home, ready to put the rig away for the freezing yes, temperatures. I will, be, I will be winterizing it in the next few weeks because it will not be used again until January. So the next few podcasts we'll be talking <laughs> to you about camping in a theoretical manner because we won't be doing it ourselves. Uh, but we will be traveling on other exciting adventures, which you'll have to stay tuned to hear about. More RVing on steroids. More RVing on steroids. Exactly what does that mean? Stay tuned and come back next month for the next exciting adventures of the RV Navigator and the Co-Pilot. But for now, we're signing off. 
signing off over and out as glenn curtis would say <laughs> look him up